I'm Emily Kate, and this is We the Voters. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of the We the Voters podcast. We the Voters is a podcast where I take hot topics in U.S. culture and break them down from opposite opinions. I'm your host, Emily Kate Topchesky. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief at We the Voters, which is basically a fancy way of saying this project is just me, so I wear a lot of hats. I'm a podcaster, editor, producer, writer, filmmaker, photographer, web designer, travel coordinator, social media manager, and the list goes on. We the Voters began in 2019 when I set off on the road to understand the many ways U.S. citizens are more alike than different. This podcast is my next step in bridging the ways we listen and talk about the other side, no matter what side you're on. So if you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Before we get into this week's episode, I do want to say that I am traveling this week. I'm in Detroit for a few other side projects. So if the recording quality sounds a little different, that's why. And um, please bear with me and excuse a little bit of background noise that I know is different than our normal sounds. Hopefully it won't be that noticeable. In this week's episode, I want to dive into a topic that feels particularly relevant as of recent weeks, student loan forgiveness. The debate on whether or not to forgive student loans, or essentially wipe the slate clean of billions of dollars of student debt, has been debated over recent years as tuition rates continue to climb. In the next hour, I'll take myths apart and find the facts about student loan forgiveness in the United States. We'll take a look at two opposite opinions. One in support of forgiving all student loans, saying this motion provide debt-saving support for millions of Americans. And one against forgiving all student loans, saying this action could potentially do more harm than good. But before we look at these opinions, let's ground our discussion with some basic facts about higher education, student loans, and their history in the United States. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, about 19.7 million students were enrolled at a college or university in fall 2020. About 12 million of these students were expected to attend full-time. About 85% of college students were enrolled in undergraduate programs. The majority of college students, about 14.6 million students, are enrolled in public institutions like state universities. The remaining quarter of students are enrolled in private colleges or universities. The cost versus value of colleges currently being debated as tuition and fees continue to rise. According to U.S. News & World Report, the average tuition and fees at private nonprofit universities have risen 144% in the past 20 years. For out-of-state students, tuition and fees at public universities have risen 165%. And as for in-state students, tuition and fees at public colleges and universities have grown the most, 212%. This rise in costs have fueled the discussion about the burden of college costs on university graduates. The Pew Research Center reports 36% of college graduates, 25 to 39, with at least a bachelor's degree and student loan debt say the lifetime cost of their degree outweighs the benefits. With the rising cost of tuition and fees, many students are turning to financial aid to help cover the gap. In 2019, about 56% of students graduating from either public or nonprofit private colleges had student loan debt. The average debt came in at about $28,800, a $400 increase from the year before. Students borrowed about $102 billion for the 2019-2020 academic year. 14% of that aid was either private or non-federal student loans. Students often pay for some or all of their education with a combination of loans, grants, and scholarships. 
some of this aid comes from private lenders through private student loans. As of 2021, Americans across the U.S. owed more than $132 billion to private student loan lenders. Private student loans are non-federal loans. These loans are made by a private lender like a bank, credit union, or school, and they must be paid back with interest. Other aid comes from federal student aid, including federal loans and grants. 66% of students apply for federal financial aid using FAFSA, or the Federal Application for Student Financial Aid. A federal grant is student financial aid that doesn't need to be repaid. A variety of grants are available, including grants for low-income students, military veterans, and teacher education. A federal work-study program has eligible students earn money for school by working part-time on campus. Federal student loans are subsidized by the federal government. The money borrowed in these loans must be repaid, as well as the interest it accrues. These student loans have relatively low interest rates when compared to many private lenders of student loans. The financial burden of graduating with student loans weighs heavily on many students. Harvard University reports that 42% of all adults 18 to 29 say they or someone in their household has student loan debt. This number is consistent across party lines. 45% of Democrats, 43% of Independents, and 40% of Republicans report having debt. Some say this debt constrains people from making other purchases, like buying a home or a car. Gallup reports that adults who carry loan debt are significantly more likely to also have an auto loan than those who carry no student loan debt. And 7 in 10 Americans say financial circumstances played an important role when deciding whether or not to go to college. 41% said it played a very important role. The stress of student loan debt is weighing on many Americans. 79% reported that student loan debt was a problem for young people in the U.S. When students were asked about who was responsible for student loan debt, 42% said colleges and universities. 30% blamed the federal government. Ultimately, 12% of public college graduates and 14% of nonprofit private college graduates default on their student loans within 12 years. The cost of college and the weight of student loan debt has started a heated debate in the United States in recent years. But the history of higher education and student loans runs far back, all the way back to the 17th century. In 1636, Harvard University was established in Massachusetts. This was the first university in what would become the United States. In 1819, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of trustees of Dartmouth College v. Woodward. This case settled the debate between private and public institutions. It ruled that both forms of higher education were legal in the United States, and that a private university could not be compelled by a state to go public. In 1838, Harvard established a student loan program for scholars who could not afford tuition. These loans were offered with zero interest. Congress later passed the Morrill Land Grant Acts in 1862. This act granted land for states to build colleges focused on agriculture and mechanics. Through this legislation, campuses began growing throughout the country, including Purdue, Michigan State, and Virginia Tech. In 1890, Congress passed the Sherman Antitrust Act. This act banned business activities that interfered with the free market. In the case of higher education, it kept institutions competitive in areas like tuition and accreditation, rather than forming trusts which limit competition. In 1944, Congress established the GI Bill, also known as the Servicemen's Readjustment Act. This legislation provided education, training, and housing assistance for soldiers returning from World War II. It was enacted to prevent an abundance of people from flooding the job market after the war. Approximately 9 million veterans took advantage of this bill following World War II. They used the funds to return to college, attend college for the first time, or learn through other training programs. This program was later extended to cover all military veterans. In 1950, the National Science Foundation was established. 
This federal organization set aside significant grant funding for science and research in colleges and universities. Four years later, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of Brown v. the Board of Education. In this case, the court ruled against segregation, saying that, quote, separate is not equal, unquote. This ruling led to desegregation of schools at all levels, including higher education. In 1958, Congress passed the National Defense Education Act. This law increased federal funding for higher education, including establishing financial assistance available for students. This assistance came as direct loans capitalized with U.S. Treasury funds. These funds were intended to support students studying science, math, and foreign languages, but overall it was widely used. Over the coming decade, national college enrollment more than doubled. It grew from about 3.6 million to more than 7.5 million students. This law was the precursor to the Federal Perkins Loan Program. It helped make college more accessible for students across the country. In 1961, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of Dixon v. Alabama. In this case, the court ended, quote, in loco parentis, unquote, a practice where colleges acted as the parent of its students in the eyes of the law, and thus were able to discipline or expel students accordingly. This ruling brought due process for students in higher education, granting them additional protections as legal adults. Four years later, Congress passed the Higher Education Act. This act increased federal funding for higher education once again. It also raised the amount of money available for students as loans for pursuing their schooling. With this act, the federal government transitioned student loans from being guaranteed by the U.S. Treasury to being provided by banks and nonprofit lenders. This established the Federal Family Education Loan, or FFEL, program. This program was amended and reauthorized eight times over the coming decades to support higher education. In 1972, Congress passed a series of education amendments. Title IX of this legislation ended discrimination based on sex in any school that receives federal funding. Alongside this legislation, the Basic Educational Opportunity Grant was established. This was later renamed the Pell Grant. These grants were designed to provide financial aid to low-income students without adding on to student loan debt. This same year, the Supreme Court ruled in Zumbrun v. the University of Southern California. In this decision, the court established that the relationship between a student and a university is contractual. In 1973, the Student Loan Marketing Association, or Sally May, was established to service federal student loans. In the decades that followed, the company moved from a federal loan servicer to a private lender. In 1978, the Supreme Court ruled in the Regents of the University of California v. Baki. This case upheld affirmative action, which said race could be a factor in college admissions. The next year, the Department of Education was established. This department manages federal grants, loans, and other assistance for U.S. schools. It is also responsible for enforcing education laws, particularly in regards to privacy and civil rights. With the establishment of this department, the system of student loans was once again replaced. All new federal loans were directly issued by the Department of Education, not by banks or nonprofit lenders. In 1983, the Supreme Court ruled in Plano v. Fountain Gate Ministries. This court decision established the definition for what a college is and isn't in the United States. In 1990, Congress passed the Federal Credit Reform Act within the larger budget reconciliation effort that year. Within this law, all government loan programs needed to account for their long-term expenses and income. This new regulation was extended to federal student loans. Every loan program was given an estimated subsidy cost. This cost is the amount of money set aside when the loan is made so that the government can cover the costs over the life of the loan. It established transparency into total costs of financial assistance. In 1992, Congress established the Free Application of Federal Student Aid, or FAFSA, when reauthorizing the Higher Education Act. FAFSA helped eliminate barriers to affording college, making it easier to obtain financial aid for higher education. 
This same year, Congress established unsubsidized Stafford loans as part of this reauthorization. These loans provide another option for students when funding their higher education. The next year, Congress reconciled the budget once again with the Omnibus Reconciliation Act of 1993. This bill phased in direct lending for student loans, citing that this style of lending would offer the same loans to students at a lower cost for taxpayers. This direct lending program began with colleges that volunteered to participate. It gave the Secretary of Education the power to compel colleges to switch until at least 60% of the loans were direct. By the next year, hundreds of institutions were participating in this new program, saying it was more simple than the alternative guarantee system. In 1994, Congress passed the School to Work Opportunities Act. This law restructured higher education, shifting to include more work-based learning alongside academics. This transition wanted to ensure students had necessary skills to get a job after graduation. In 1997, Congress reconciled the budget once again, making another change to student loan procedures. In this law, they blocked the Department of Education from requiring or encouraging colleges to switch to direct student loans. Lawmakers said this would increase choice, giving institutions the option to pick a direct or guarantee program based on what worked for them. In practice, historians say that this program ultimately benefited guaranteed systems. These companies used profit resources to enroll more colleges and universities, and thus more students, into their guarantee loan programs. On the other hand, the direct loan program was not allowed to advertise, and thus campus participation in this program declined. At the turn of the 21st century, the Supreme Court ruled in Prairie View University, A&M University of Texas v. Mitchell. In this case, the court ruled that colleges and universities can claim sovereign immunity as a legal defense. Sovereign immunity essentially says that a state cannot commit a legal wrong in the eyes of the law. This same year, the Supreme Court ruled in the Goldbarth v. Kansas State Board of Regents. In this decision, the court ruled that state administrators are eligible for qualified immunity against lawsuits. It ruled that university and college administrators are granted this protection from legal challenges. In 2001, Congress passed the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act. This law created a student loan interest tax deduction. This deduction allows qualifying taxpayers to deduct up to $2,500 of interest payments each year. Lawmakers intended this benefit to help make repaying student loan debt more affordable. In 2002, Congress passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. This law established accounting requirements for public entities, including public colleges and universities. Three years later, the Supreme Court ruled in Joseph v. Board of Regents of University of Wisconsin system. In this case, the court established public colleges and universities as, quote, arms of the state, unquote. With this decision, these institutions were guaranteed certain protections against lawsuits. In 2007, Congress passed the College Cost Reduction and Access Act. This law sought to make student loan repayment more affordable. It included an option for income-based repayment, which caps payments for qualifying students and forgives remaining debt after 20 or 25 years of repayment. It also included public service loan forgiveness. This program forgives loans after 10 years for people who work for a qualifying employer. It includes those working for government organizations at any level and 501c3 recognized nonprofits. Also in 2007, new loans in the direct student loan program dipped to its lowest share of total federal student loans since the program began in the 1990s. This trend reversed the following year with the start of the Great Recession. During the following two years, volatility in the credit markets limited private lenders to guarantee federal student loans. Many lenders stopped participating in the program, which led campuses to switch over to direct loans. Also in 2008, the Bush administration enacted a temporary program that granted the Department of Education the right to buy guaranteed loans made by private lenders. These proceeds were used to then originate new student loans. 
This was a major change to the guaranteed loan program, making it more similar to its direct loan counterpart. It gave federal capital to private lenders making student loans. In 2010, Congress passed the Student Aid and Fiscal Responsibility Act. This law increased federal funding for student financial aid, including loans and grants. This same year, the Obama administration eliminated the FFEL program for all new loans as of July 2010. At the time, FFEL was the second largest loan program for college students. The Congressional Budget Office estimated that eliminating this program would generate more than $68 billion in savings over the coming decade. These savings were then used to increase Pell Grant program funding. It also reduced income-based payments from 15 to 10 percent of discretionary income for people paying back their student loans. In 2015, the Department of Education launched the revised Pay-As-You-Earn plan. This plan allowed an additional 5 million people to cap student loan payments at 10 percent of their discretionary income. It also extended protections to people with direct loans. Also in this year, the Obama administration developed the Student Aid Bill of Rights. This said that every student had the right to quality, affordable education, the right to resources to help pay for college, and the right to an affordable repayment plan. It also stated that every student had the right to reliable information and fair treatment, even if they struggled to repay their loans. In 2017, Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. This act included two key changes to student loans. First, it eliminated the tax on student loan forgiveness for people with permanent disabilities. Qualifying people with federal student loans can receive forgiveness through the Total and Permanent Disability Discharge Program. Previously, this forgiveness was treated as taxable income, often generating huge bills for the borrower. Under the new system, this tax was eliminated completely. Second, the tuition and fees deduction was eliminated. Previously, taxpayers could use this deduction for qualifying expenses like enrollment fees, tuition, course books, and lab fees. With this new law, this deduction was removed completely. Also in 2017, the Perkins Loan Program expired. Perkins loans were loans for low-income students. They had a fixed 5% interest rate and a longer grace period than other student loans. This program started being phased out in 2015, but was later extended for two more years. It ultimately expired when Congress failed to act. The goal of phasing out this program was to simplify and centralize federal student loans. Critics were concerned with keeping college and tuition costs accessible for low-income students. In 2019, Congress passed the SECURE Act. Within this law, the benefits of 529 college savings plans were extended to include student loan payments and apprenticeship program costs as qualifying expenses. 529 college saving plans are tax-advantaged savings accounts to set aside money for future education costs. The money grows tax-free as long as withdrawals are only for qualifying expenses. In 2020, the Department of Education suspended repayment of all federal student loans due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As of recording this, this suspension is currently ongoing. Student loans are not garnering interest while in forbearance. Which brings us to today. In March 2021, the Biden administration announced it was reinterpreting an existing federal student loan cancellation program. This new interpretation of the borrower defense to repayment program will result in about $1 billion of student loans forgiven. The borrower defense to repayment program was originally designed to forgive federal debt for students who'd been misled or defrauded by colleges or universities. The Department of Education recently reversed the previous partial relief policy. Thousands of people already approved for partial relief are now eligible for full cancellation in the coming weeks. Also in March, Congress passed the American Rescue Plan Act. Within this law, student loan debt forgiveness has been marked as tax-free from December 2020 to the end of 2025. Prior to this ruling, any amount that is canceled, forgiven, or discharged for less than the full amount must be reported on tax returns. This amount is then taxable, barring some exceptions. 
Some say this is a precursor for preparing for a later student loan forgiveness plan. Looking ahead, President Biden currently backs a plan to forgive $10,000 of federal student loan debt for each American. Private loan debt won't be eligible for forgiveness. While some are asking for forgiveness up to $50,000, his administration has underlined $10,000 of forgiveness per person as its goal. Some say that canceling student debt could harm the economy, adding more burden onto all taxpayers for the benefit of student borrowers. Others say that canceling this debt is necessary to aid borrowers and help the economy grow. In 2018, the Pew Research Center reported that about a third of all adults between the ages of 18 and 29 had student loan debt. 15% of all adults carry student loan debt. The amount of debt carried varies immensely. In 2016, the median student loan debt for bachelor's degree holders was $25,000. Those with less than a bachelor's degree averaged $10,000 in median debt, and the median of those with a postgraduate degree owed $45,000 or more. Many student loan debt holders report struggling financially. According to the Pew Research Center, 22% of college graduates, 25 to 39 with loans, are finding it difficult to get by financially, or are just getting by. On the other hand, 11% of graduates without loans report the same. According to Harvard University, 57% of Americans view student loan debt as a major problem. This opinion is relatively consistent across party lines. 62% of Democrats, 57% of Republicans, and 55% of Independents report the same. After the break, I'm going to break down one side of public opinion, that student loan debt should be forgiven as this would provide necessary relief for millions of Americans. Then we'll take a look at the other side, that student loan debt should not be forgiven as it could potentially harm the economy and overall do more harm than good. But first, let's take that break. And we're back. Proposed legislation by the Biden administration would forgive up to $10,000 of federal student debt for each borrower nationwide. According to the Morning Consult, 56% of adults say they strongly or somewhat support this forgiveness plan. Similarly, 46% of Americans say they support a plan to cancel $50,000 in student loan debt per person. Supporters for forgiving federal student loans back their opinion with the following three reasons. 1. Student loan debt forgiveness would erase debt for millions of Americans and ease the burden for millions more. 2. Student loan debt forgiveness would boost the economy at large and put more funds into low-income households and neighborhoods. And 3. Student loan debt forgiveness would narrow inequities in American culture, including wealth gaps. Let's take a look at these one by one. First, proponents say student loan debt forgiveness would erase debt for millions of Americans and ease the burden for millions more. Business Insider reports that about 45 million Americans hold student loan debt. And as a whole, this total nationwide has grown to more than $1.7 trillion in debt this year. Per individual, this is an average of between $20,000 and $25,000 in student loan debt as of 2019 calculations. Supporters say that eliminating $10,000 of student loan debt would wipe out the outstanding balances for more than 15 million people nationwide. According to the Department of Education, forgiving $10,000 in outstanding federal student loan debt would completely wipe the slate for about a third of borrowers who are currently holding equal or less than that amount in student loans. Supporters say it would also benefit about 9.6 million Americans who owe between $20,000 and $40,000 in student loan debt. This group is the largest portion of borrowers, making up about 41% of all people who owe money for student loans. By eliminating student loan debt or easing the financial burden, proponents say that it would support millions of Americans as they start businesses, buy homes, or build towards their futures. According to the Harvard Business Review, about 60% of millennials consider them entrepreneurs, but less than 4% are currently self-employed. 
Supporters say that if student loan debt was erased or eased, it would propel millions of Americans into pursuing new employment opportunities. The number of new business owners has steadily been declining since the mid-1990s. The Harvard Business Review reports that in 1996, young people launched more than a third of all startups. By 2014, that number had dropped to 18%. And overall, the number of startups and new businesses have been dropping in recent decades. Quote, the rate of new businesses as a percentage of all U.S. companies dropped by 29% between 1977 and 2016. While economists and policymakers might argue over the reasons behind this stagnation, as with any normal distribution curve, the obvious answers lie in the short tail, unquote. Supporters say that some of this stagnation can be linked to high student loan debt. Millions of Americans owe money from paying for their education, and it totals more than $500 billion more than the total credit card debt in the United States. Proponents say this high debt may be linked to the startup stagnation we see in the U.S. The Harvard Business Review reports, quote, Over time, the mounting pressure from this growing debt crisis, coupled with the slowing wage growth, has likely instilled fear among younger generations. Simply put, they're far more averse to the risk that comes with trying to create something new, unquote. Nearly 70% of college graduates leave school with an average of just under 30 grand in student loan debt. And supporters say this high burden limits their vision for their future. Quote, the thought of doing anything but getting a well-paying job to try and reduce this burden might seem irresponsible at best. Even if one does land a job that affords them the luxury of steady loan repayment, they are likely to continue to pay off their loans for many years. Research from the Citizens Financial Group suggests that 60% of student debt borrowers expect to be paying off their loans into their 40s, unquote. Proponents suggest that by forgiving student loan debt, it would propel millions of Americans into a more secure financial future. By eliminating this debt, it could reinvigorate startups and innovation across the United States. And supporters say the benefits of forgiving student loans extends past entrepreneurship. It can also set millions of Americans on a path towards home ownership, retirement planning, and other benchmarks of a secure financial future. Student loans make an impact on a person's debt-to-income ratio, which impacts the likelihood of being approved for a mortgage. The higher the ratio, the less likely a person is to be approved. CNBC reports that to be approved for a qualified mortgage, individuals must not have a ratio above 43%. Depending on a person's loan debt and income, this ratio may be difficult to obtain. Mark Struthers is the founder of Sona Wealth. He says, quote, if your student loans are taking up 20% of your income, it is very unlikely they will approve you for a monthly mortgage payment of 30% of your income, unquote. Instead, he says, for student loan holders, the debt-to-income ratio should stay at 36% or less. To do so, this often means people have to make hard choices about other financial decisions like dining, vacations, and more. Proponents say that by eradicating student loan debt, you ease the financial burden for millions of Americans. This would make home ownership, work-life balance, and other goals a realistic dream for many. Second, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness would boost the economy at large and put more funds into low-income households and neighborhoods. Bharat Ramamurthy is a member of the Congressional Oversight Commission. He says canceling student loan debt is good economics and good politics. Quote, the bottom line is that broad debt cancellation via executive order is popular, economically potent, and most importantly, life-changing for millions of Americans struggling through this crisis, unquote. In 2018, researchers found that a one-time cancellation of the outstanding student loan debt would greatly benefit the GDP. In fact, they found it would add between $86 billion and $108 billion a year to the economy. Barat said, quote, one study has found that canceling all debt would have a big stimulative effect. The impact would be less if less debt were canceled, but debt cancellation is one of the relatively few ways to really stimulate the economy without Congress, unquote. 
According to Fox Business, supporters suggest that student loan forgiveness could produce a stimulus effect similar to tax cuts. Quote, eliminating student loan debt provides a similar boost to economic activity as a tax cut, producing a near-term modest increase in household consumption and investment and since people may have more disposable income. Unquote. Girlboss reports that a team of economists found that if student loans were canceled, it could relieve millions of Americans who hold debt and millions of more Americans across the country. Quote, of course, if people are relieved of their debt this way, they would do other things with the money, buy consumer goods and services, and become customers for businesses. Businesses, in turn, will need to hire more, and small businesses will flourish. When people have money to spend, they stimulate the economy, more jobs grow, and nothing bad happens. It's simple. Unquote. Supporters point out that similarly, millions of jobs could be created with the lack of looming student loan burdens. Quote, in their research, this group of economists said that if we canceled the $1.3 trillion in student loan debt, a few positive spillover effects would happen. For one, 1.2 to 1.5 million new jobs appear that wouldn't have been there otherwise. In real GDP terms, that would create another trillion dollars over 10 years. Also, there would be no significant increase to deficit or inflation relative to the GDP, unquote. Girlboss reports that eliminating student debt could reduce the average unemployment rate up to 0.36% over 10 years. Quote, nominal interest rates would rise modestly, and the net budgetary effect for the federal government would have a likely increase in the deficit to GDP ratio of 0.65 to 0.75 percentage points per year, another modest increase. Essentially, the cancellation could create better economic opportunities for everyone, even those who don't benefit directly with cancellation of their student loans. Unquote. In the long term, it could also stimulate the economy with household spending, entrepreneurship, home ownership, and more. Supporters say that canceling student loan debt would also make a big impact in communities nationwide and the paychecks of millions of Americans. Barat says, quote, canceling student loan debt has positive income effects. The median borrower making payments has a monthly payment of more than $200. Canceling debt could reduce or eliminate those payments, which is like sending those people a check every month, unquote. Business Insider reports that canceling student debt means current loan payments could go into the local economy or towards a person's financial future. Quote, with student loan forgiveness, that is essentially putting almost $3,000 back into Americans' pockets each year, which as a result could help boost the economy. Unquote. In the short term, some economists say that student loan forgiveness would make a big impact in the housing market and other financial planning sectors. Lawrence Yun is the chief economist at the National Association of Realtors. He says that student debt delays homeownership for many people by about five to seven years. While he doesn't endorse any particular plan, Lawrence estimates that broad loan forgiveness could amplify home sales. Quote, home sales could be, say, 300000 higher annually if people were not saddled by large student debt. This could be a boost to the housing sector as well as the economy, unquote. According to a SoFi survey, 61% of millennials report they delayed buying a house because of student loan debt. Supporters say that by eliminating this debt, it could help boost the economy as a whole, as well as business and household formation. Barat says, quote, Of course, starting a small business means that there's going to be more jobs available. Buying a home means that there's more demand for home construction, and so on. And so it has all of these positive ripple effects throughout the economy, unquote. Third, supporters say student loan debt forgiveness would narrow inequities in American culture, including wealth gaps. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, black college graduates owe about $25,000 more in student loan debt than white college graduates. Four years after graduation, 29% of black students face monthly payments of $350 or more. 
The Urban Institute reports that among borrowers between 25 and 55, black borrowers owe about $32,000 on average. On the other hand, white borrowers owe about $18,000 and Hispanic borrowers owe about $16,000 after completing their education. Proponents say that student loan forgiveness would greatly ease the burden for all students, but it is a necessary step on the way to addressing inequity between races in the United States. Ayanna Presley is a Massachusetts congresswoman. She says, quote, The student debt crisis is a racial and economic justice issue, and we must finally begin to address it as such. Broad-based student debt cancellation is precisely the kind of bold, high-impact policy that the broad and diverse coalition that elected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris expect them to deliver, unquote. CNBC reports that student debt holds some people back from building intergenerational wealth, and this continues a long-standing racial wealth gap. Nicole Smith is the chief economist at the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. She says, quote, To build intergenerational wealth, a lot of that is bundled in home ownership and having the ability to buy and own a home. If you're saddled with too much student loan debt, your ability to actually save up enough for your down payment is influenced by that, unquote. Nicole found that the average black household held about one-thirteenth of the wealth of the average white household. Quote, And if you view student loan debt as negative wealth, as money that could have been used to save for wealth or to purchase a home or to invest in the stock market to accumulate wealth, that potential wealth is now used to repay loans. Unquote. Supporters say that student loan debt can create a cycle where students without generational wealth take on more debt, and thus the racial wealth gap continues to widen. Laura Beamer is the lead researcher at the Jane Family Institute. She says canceling student loan debt would greatly benefit low-income households and communities of color. Quote, progress on mitigating wealth inequality is one of the biggest effects of student debt forgiveness. Unquote. According to Business Insider, black students have a heavier debt burden than their white peers. Approximately 87% of black students in four-year colleges take out student loans, while only about 60% of white students do the same. At graduation, they owe about $7,500 more on average than their white peers. Following graduation, supporters say this discrepancy continues through stagnant wage gaps. The Economic Policy Institute reports that the average wages grew faster between 2000 and 2019 among all education groups for white and Hispanic workers than it grew for black workers. According to the Federal Reserve in 2019, black Americans under 40 were more likely to be behind on payments than white or Hispanic Americans. 26% of black Americans were behind on payments, while 19% of Hispanic borrowers and 7% of white borrowers reported the same. Supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness could make a huge impact for these communities. Suzanne Kahn is the director of the Great Democracy Initiative at the Roosevelt Institute. She says that forgiving $75,000 of student loans, quote, would be a more appropriate level to increase household wealth, help close the racial wealth gap, and boost our struggling economy, unquote. Supporters say that canceling student loan debt would benefit low-income borrowers, particularly women and people of color. For instance, researchers found, quote, median wealth for black households overall, not just borrowers, would instantly increase by 42% with $75,000 of student debt forgiveness and about 34% with $50,000 in forgiveness, unquote. Additionally, proponents say that by forgiving student loans, it would set all graduates on the path towards a more stable financial future, quote, A threshold could pull lower-end borrowers out of default and restore their credit scores and even help those not in default delaying the aforementioned life milestones, William Foster is a vice president at Moody's, a financial services company. He says it wouldn't need to be total forgiveness to see significant results. He says, quote, student loans are now contributing to what's perceived as lower economic prospects for younger Americans, unquote. 
Researcher Lawrence Young points out that the average homeowner has a net worth of about $230,000, while the typical renter has a net worth of only about $5,000. By eliminating student loan debt, you could begin to close that gap for many people. NPR reports, quote, After all, millions of Americans are delaying home ownership, and that's the most powerful way for most working and middle-class people to build wealth, unquote. Supporters say that by canceling student debt, you build equity among all Americans. While more white students than black students have student loans, a greater percentage of black students have loans when looking at the population. Black Americans make up about 13% of the population, yet make up about 24% of all student loan borrowers. A 2018 study found that 58% of black young adults reported their parents helped pay for college. These parents chipped in an average of about $4,200 over the course of their college education. In comparison, the study found that 72% of white young adults reported that their parents helped pay for college. These parents chipped in nearly three times as much, an average of about $12,000 over the course of their child's education. Fanaba Otto is the study's author and a professor at UNC Charlotte. She says, quote, Due to structural wealth and inequality in our society, black parents were less able to protect their young children from accumulating large debt burdens, unquote. Because of this inequality, Fanaba says that white borrowers are able to repay their student loans more quickly, and therefore they are able to start saving and accumulating wealth while their black peers are still paying back debt. Supporters point to this inequity as an example of why student loan debt should be forgiven. For many seeking a better life, college is seen as a gateway to new opportunities. Derek Hamilton is an economics professor at the New School. He believes many young students see college as a resume-building strategy. Quote, if you know the labor market is going to be more discriminatory towards you, one strategy might be to make sure that you're highly credentialed when you go into that labor market, unquote. But advocates point out that while students may graduate with a degree, the debt will set them back for further advancement for years to come. With this in mind, Derek says it is time to cancel all student loan debt. He says, quote, debt can be useful and good if it's an authentic choice, but when it comes to something like student loans with a lot of people, you don't really have a choice. They're faced with the prospect of low social mobility or going to college. And if they don't have the finances to get there without debt, then they're burdened with this debt when they graduate, unquote. To recap, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness could erase the debt for more than 15 million Americans nationwide. And this forgiveness could also potentially ease the burden for millions of more Americans, lessening the amount they owe. Proponents also say that forgiving federal student loan debt would boost the economy at large. It would put more funds into low-income households and neighborhoods, helping them flourish. Finally, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness would narrow inequities in American culture, including wealth gaps. After the break, let's take a look at the opposite side of public opinion, that student loan debt should not be forgiven, as it could potentially harm the economy and do more harm than good. But first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. Over the course of a career, data shows that a typical worker with a college degree earns nearly $1 million more than their peer with a high school diploma. And this discrepancy exists between associate degree holders and high school diploma holders as well. A similar worker with an associate's degree earns about $360,000 more than a high school graduate. To obtain a college education, many individuals use financial aid, including student loans, to pay for rising tuition costs. This leaves many students with thousands of dollars of debt when their education is complete. Today, one in eight of all Americans have student loans, and that debt has grown to about $1.5 trillion. While some look at student loan forgiveness as a solution to economic woes and personal financial struggles, others say it may cause more harm than good. Proponents against forgiving federal student loans cite the following three reasons. One, student loan debt forgiveness is poorly targeted, benefiting the wealthy more than those who truly need it. Two, 
Student loan debt forgiveness will not stimulate the economy. Instead, it may do more harm than good. And three, student loan debt forgiveness may amplify college costs and add on additional expenses for future students. Let's take a look at these one by one. First, proponents say that student loan debt forgiveness is poorly targeted, benefiting the wealthy more than those who truly need it. The People's Policy Project is a crowdfunded think tank. As of 2019, it found that the top fifth of American households hold about $3 in student loan debt for every $1 held by the bottom fifth of American households. Some proponents suggest that this illustrates how regressive student loan forgiveness can be, as many low-income borrowers have taken on debt to get ahead and are just beginning their careers. Preston Cooper is a visiting fellow at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. In November 2020, he wrote a Forbes op-ed about the downsides of student loan forgiveness. In this piece, he wrote, quote, Borrowers take on student debt to attend college, and people with college degrees tend to earn more. Those with the most debt, $50,000 or more, almost exclusively have graduate degrees, which carry an even larger earnings premium, unquote. Preston points out that forgiving student loan debt is not necessarily focused on students who come from low-income backgrounds. Instead, the data points that students from wealthy families tend to borrow more than low-income families, as high-income students tend to choose more expensive private colleges than public options. Proponents point out that even limiting student loan debt forgiveness to smaller sums, rather than wiping the slate clean of all debt, is not a perfect solution. Sandra Baum is a student loan scholar at the Urban Institute. She says, quote, What we have in place and what we need to improve is a system that says, if you cannot afford your loan payments, we will forgive them. The question of whether we should also have a program that says, let's also forgive your loan payments even if you can't afford them, is another question, unquote. For instance, plans to forgive up to $50,000 in student loans would benefit only 34% of the bottom 60% of households. Instead, the majority of benefits would go to high-income households, including advanced degree holders. Proponents also suggest that student loan forgiveness is poorly targeted to those likely to spend this new cash. For instance, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that stimulus payments via the CARES Act had a multiplier of 0.6 times. On the other hand, canceling student loans is significantly less targeted than these payments, and economists say the multiplier is much lower. CRFB is the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a nonprofit public policy organization. It says targeting by amount caps or income may help a little, but ultimately any cancellation is limited to the amount of people who borrowed to go to school. Quote, Therefore, even a better targeted version is likely to be less stimulative than universal checks and far less stimulative than more targeted interventions such as expanded unemployment benefits, unquote. Proponents acknowledge that there are many people struggling to repay their loans, but point out that it is necessary to recognize that this is not all borrowers. Quote, for some people, college is a net positive investment. People who receive a large financial return from their education should be responsible for a portion of the costs. In other words, people who can afford their student loans should pay their student loans, unquote. For those who are struggling to pay, proponents point to already existing programs of student loan forgiveness, rather than implementing a new, broad, and expensive program. For instance, income-based repayment plans, which act as a safety net for low-income adults with student loan debt. With this option, borrowers can tie their payments to their income, the lowest payment being zero for the lowest earners. This program can make life easier for student loan holders, but according to recent data, less than half of undergraduate students know about this plan. Proponents say that making better use of this plan would make a big impact for many borrowers. And in the wide scale, they say there are more sound ways to fix student loan problems for less money. Lindsay Burke is the director at the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. In 2021, she wrote an NBC News op-ed that pointed out how the average person struggling to make payments would not necessarily benefit from $10,000 of debt forgiveness. She writes, quote, 
those in lower income brackets currently have their monthly payments capped at 10% of their discretionary income through the Federal Income Driven Repayment Program. In fact, because of this existing policy, the economist Sylvain Catherine finds that for some borrowers, $10,000 in debt cancellation would have zero impact on their monthly student loan payments, as it would forgive debt that would not ever have had to be repaid, unquote. CNBC echoes similar findings. It reports that researchers found student loan forgiveness mainly benefits higher income earners, while income-based repayment plans provide more benefits, particularly for low-income borrowers. A University of Chicago study found, quote, We find that universal and capped forgiveness policies are highly regressive, with the vast majority of benefits accruing for high-income individuals. On the other hand, enrolling more borrowers in income-driven repayment plans linking repayment to earnings leads to forgiveness for borrowers in the middle of the income distribution, unquote. Current income-based repayment plans have payments based on up to 15% of discretionary income for people living at 150% of the poverty threshold or below. According to these existing plans, any remaining balance is forgiven after between 20 and 25 years. The University of Chicago study found that Black and Hispanic adults would benefit substantially less than the balances suggest. Instead, researchers say, quote, enrolling households who would benefit from income-driven repayment is the least expensive and most progressive policy we consider, unquote. Second, proponents say that student loan debt forgiveness will not stimulate the economy. Instead, it may cause more harm than good. Solving looming student loan debt has been a debate for many government officials over recent years. The proposed Biden administration plan of $10,000 of student loan forgiveness could potentially save graduates more than $400 billion. But supporters point out that this savings does not come without consequences. Preston writes in his Forbes op-ed, quote, Government resources are scarce, so there is a finite amount of relief that Uncle Sam can distribute through student loan forgiveness or otherwise, unquote. Proponents point out that just about 17% of all Americans have student loan debt, and that easing that debt is not a clear solution to economic stimulus. Quote, if economic relief is in order, it's highly inequitable to distribute tens of thousands of dollars to 45 million, while the other 210 million get nothing. Underlying student loan forgiveness is the logic that people who attended college in the recent past are more deserving of government assistance than everyone else, which makes little sense. For the cost of forgiving $10,000 of debt per borrower, the federal government could instead cut every adult American a check for just under $1,500, unquote. Some supporters say that focusing on student loan debt forgiveness doesn't direct relief towards those who have been most impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and previous recession. In February 2021, the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that college graduates had a 3.8% unemployment rate. On the other hand, high school graduates suffered from unemployment and nearly doubled the rate, 7.2%. Proponents say that instead of focusing on college graduates who cannot pay back their loans, the government should focus on relieving expenses for those without student loan debt, a much higher share of the population. One case for student loan forgiveness says that by freeing up student loan payments, you stimulate local economies, which creates waves through a much larger U.S. economy. But proponents say this effect will be significantly smaller than the other side hopes. Preston says, quote, People make payments on their loans over time, so loan forgiveness distributes benefits to borrowers over a period of many years. Even after the economy recovers, the benefits of loan forgiveness will keep paying out. But stimulus is only justifiable while the economy is operating below its potential. Mainstream economic theory recommends that governments pull back on stimulus as the economy returns to full employment, unquote. CRFB says that student debt cancellation would increase cash flow in the U.S. economy by $90 billion a year, but it would cost taxpayers $1.5 trillion. Quote, total loan forgiveness would increase household wealth by about $1.5 trillion, costing the government the same, but that is not the equivalent of sending $1.5 trillion of cash to households. 
Instead of giving the average household $15,000 or $20,000 more dollars to spend, it would relieve them of their monthly interest and principal payments, which normally total $200 to $300 per month for the typical borrower in repayment, unquote. To explain, proponents point out that borrowers pay back loans over numerous years. Because of these long payment periods, canceling student debt will only increase available cash by a fraction of the total forgiveness. The CRFB found that canceling all student loan debt would add $90 billion into the economy this year, and about $450 billion over the next five years. Canceling some of this debt, such as the $10,000 limit proposed by the Biden administration, would reduce costs and cash flow in similar proportions. And in the year that loans are canceled, supporters say it could potentially cause personal taxes to rise. For every dollar forgiven, it is considered taxable income, and thus will need to be documented in that year's tax forms. CNBC says this could potentially add hundreds or thousands of dollars onto a person's year-end tax bill. Quote, if you are, for example, in the 20% federal tax bracket, this will result in an additional tax of $2,000, which will be due in April of 2022 when 2021 taxes are filed. Unquote. CNBC points out that the good news being borrowers do not have to pay back the full amount, the bad news being that they now owe additional money in taxes that year. Proponents say that wiping the slate clean does not cause the debt to simply vanish. Instead, it gets transferred to the national debt, which then becomes a new liability of its own. Lindsay wrote in her NBC News op-ed that forgiving student loan debt is uniquely unfair to all Americans. Quote, Forgiveness proposals would unfairly foist a borrower's debt onto strangers, including those who made a conscious decision not to attend college, to avoid debt, or to go to a school they otherwise wouldn't have because it was less expensive. At the same time, it would almost certainly lead to the cost of college increasing for future students. Unquote. The Brookings Institute found that forgiving up to $50,000 of student loan debt would cost taxpayers about $1 trillion. Forgiving $10,000 of debt would cost about $373 billion. Under either of these proposals, millions of Americans would benefit to varying degrees. However, some proponents suggest that the cost is not worth the reward, and it would unfairly tax millions more Americans than it benefits. Quote, Forgiving all student debt would be a transfer larger than the amounts the nation has spent over the past 20 years on unemployment insurance, larger than the amount it has spent on the earned income tax credit, and larger than the amount it has spent on food stamps, unquote. This large spending would add unfair burdens onto millions of Americans across the country, and for those who would experience loan forgiveness, it may produce even more financial problems. The CRFB says freedom from student loans may encourage people to take out other loans or withdraw from their savings, also known as the wealth effect. Quote, Empirical evidence suggests that increases in the value of one's house or stock portfolio increase spending by 3 to 6 cents for every dollar increase in wealth. This would translate to roughly 50 to 100 billion dollars of additional spending. That's a small economic impact relative to the 1.5 trillion dollar cost. Unquote. Third, proponents say student loan debt forgiveness may amplify college costs and add on additional expenses for future students. Supporters say that forgiving student loans now would incentivize colleges to raise tuition even more than the trajectory in recent years. Carol Roth is the head of Intercap Merchant Partners. She says that increased government aid has allowed colleges to increase costs without providing additional benefits to students. Quote, colleges bear a lot of the responsibility, and they have basically been taking the dollars facilitated by government in a predatory way. Unquote. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York found that for every dollar the government spends on federal student loans, colleges raise tuition by 60 cents. Over time, this makes a huge impact across the economy. The Brookings Institute points out that while tuition has been on the rise, grants and scholarships have not risen to match the same rate. This leaves many students grasping for ways to make up the difference. The Upjohn Institute is a nonprofit employment research organization. 
It says that rising tuition accounts for 62% of the increase in the number of students who borrowed for bachelor's degrees between 1990 and 2012, and 39% of the increase in the size of the median loan. When looking at community colleges, the average full-time student receives enough aid to cover tuition and fees, but many have to borrow to cover living expenses. Looking towards the future, supporters point out that loan cancellation creates tremendous incentive to raise tuition prices. Historical evidence suggests that federal subsidies have regularly increased college costs. Lindsay wrote in her 2021 op-ed, quote, In the last 20 years, the federal government's total inflation-adjusted spending on student loans has skyrocketed, from $50 billion in the 1999 to 2000 school year to $87 billion in 2019 to 2020. Concurrently, in-state tuition at public universities increased by 120% in real terms over the same time period, unquote. Economists suggest that rising tuition prices go hand-in-hand with federal financial aid, as more students have more access to more funding. Research has shown that schools have raised tuition by 102% on average between 1987 and 2010. Without subsidies, economists estimate that this increase would have been only 16%. Proponents say that mass student loan forgiveness would have a similar subsidy effect on tuition prices. It would, essentially, say charge what you want and we'll figure it out later. Some supporters also say that forgiving student loans is a backwards policy. It focuses on a growing number of already loaned money and doesn't consider the new student loans being created each academic semester. Without fixing the rising cost of college in the first place, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness simply adds a band-aid to the problem. Research suggests that free public college would only reduce new student loans by about 15%, as the majority of borrowing is associated with private education. Quote, To truly extinguish the perverse incentives student loan cancellation creates, policymakers will have to bring new federal borrowing to zero, but none of the major politicians who advocate mass loan forgiveness have proposed anything close to that. Unquote. Projections suggest that over the next decade, the federal government will lend an additional $1.1 trillion to college students. Proponents point out that even if the government moves forward with forgiving some or all debt, the outstanding debt could climb back up to current levels or surpass it in just a few years. Preston writes in his Forbes op-ed, quote, In the absence of other reforms, forgiving debt sets a precedent. Student borrowers and the colleges they attend may rightly expect another cancellation to happen at some point in the future, when outstanding debt again climbs too high. This creates an incentive to borrow more in order to take advantage of that future jubilee, unquote. To recap, proponents against student loan debt forgiveness say that this forgiveness is poorly targeted. Instead of benefiting those struggling to pay back loans, it benefits the wealthy and those with the means to pay it back. Proponents also say that student loan debt forgiveness will not stimulate the economy. Instead, they argue it may cause more harm than good. Finally, proponents say that student loan debt forgiveness may amplify college costs and add on additional expenses for future students. This in turn will perpetuate the issue, making college more expensive rather than fixing the root cause. On the other hand, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness would erase debt for more than 15 million Americans nationwide. And this forgiveness could also potentially ease the burden for millions of more Americans, lessening the amount they owe. Proponents also say that forgiving federal student debt would boost the economy at large. It would put more funds into low-income households and neighborhoods, helping them flourish. Finally, supporters say that student loan debt forgiveness would narrow inequities in American culture, including wealth gaps. But what do you think? Should the federal government wipe the slate clean, relieving millions of Americans from burdensome student loans? Or should the federal government keep the student loan program as is, since forgiving student loans could potentially do more harm than good? Is it the government's responsibility to forgive student loan debt? or the student's responsibility to repay as they took out the loans in the first place. Let me know your thoughts on these questions or anything I talked about in this week's episode by shooting me a text or leaving me a voicemail. You can reach We the Voters at 
1-800-273-9492. You can also email me at wethevotersproject at gmail.com. A quick heads up, your stories and reaction may be used in an upcoming episode or in another part of the We the Voters site. Let's stay in touch between episodes. I keep this conversation going on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at We the Voters Project, on Twitter at Hi We the Voters, and on Instagram at We the Voters. We the Voters is a project funded by people like you. If you like what you heard today, please consider supporting this work with a one-time or a monthly donation. You can donate on patreon.com slash we the voters or via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. Shoot me an email if you'd like to find out more. You can also support We the Voters without spending a dime. Please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Snap a screenshot of this episode and take me on Instagram or Facebook. These are quick ways that can make a big impact in helping this project grow. Everything I talked about in this week's episode is linked in the show notes. You can find them on the blog at wethevotersproject.com. Thank you so much for being patient with me. I know that this episode sounded a little bit different than they normally do, and I greatly appreciate you sticking all the way to the end. I'll be back here in your feed next week Wednesday, back in my normal spot with another conversation about U.S. culture. But until then, I'm Emily Kate, and this was We the Voters. We the Voters.